0: Hello and welcome back to Cooking Our Books. I'm Helen and with me is my sister Pam. Hi there. And it's great to have your company as we cook up a dish from our family collection of recipes. So firstly, Pam, I need to say up front that we've based this podcast on working our way through our mum's recipe albums, picking a recipe from each consecutive cookbook that she pulled together. However, for this episode to align with our Christmas time coming up, we've actually skipped ahead a couple of the books to revisit a recipe that we first highlighted back in our previous episode nine, which was uh, the chili con carne. See, remember, I remember you said you it got like that, you've got a good memory, you've got a good memory better than me. <laughs> no, that was good. <laughs> this was right at the time that King Charles's coronation was occurring, and we were delving into royal related recipes in the cookbooks. And this is just a little bit of what we said at the time
1: Queen Elizabeth, we've got her Christmas cake recipe, and it's called Mrs. McKee's Christmas Cake. And Mrs. McKee was apparently one of the Queen's former chefs, and we're talking well back in probably the 60s, so you can't really find many references to her now, but her Christmas cake recipe is there and it says that's the cake that she
0: used to make the Queen. So, Pam, after listening to that, this is how I think our fascination in Mrs McKee was born. Pam, you being the super sleuth that you are, you managed to track down and buy for me Mrs McKee's original The Royal Cookery book in colour for my birthday this year. And what a surprise that was. The book was originally published in 1964 and then again in 1983, which is the version that you lovingly got me for my birthday. And look, what an amazing book and such an interesting read as she delves into the daily life of cooking for royalty. She really is a fascinating person. And sometimes one
1: little tidbit can open up something for you. And I think when we originally saw this giant cutout of the Queen's Christmas cake in the original cookbook, it did intrigue us. And who was this woman who ran the royal household, the cooking, for so long? And uh, she has actually got such a fascinating backstory. And I'm so pleased that I managed to track down the cookbook because there's a practical reason for that as well, which you'll... Tell us in a minute, <laughs> come, but come to in a minute, yeah, it comes with some beautiful writing, doesn't it? This oh, monumental yeah. volume of recipes, and I know that yeah. me and you sh- over Christmas shared some of that story.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, and and you were right. I mean, it wasn't just a cookbook. There was some backstory, some history, anecdotal discussions around her time in the royal households, as there were many. You know, there was, I think, ultimately, there was four or five Mm. royal households that she cooked for. So, just a fascinating read. So, Mrs. McKee was a Swedish woman who came to England between World War I and World War II at some stage in those intervening years, and she married an Englishman. She started as a young trainee cook in a huge castle in Sweden, which was basically a self-supporting estate. So all the animals, all the fruit and vegetables were all grown, slaughtered, harvested on that estate, and that was the food that they ate on the estate. And so, you know, with slaughtering of animals, salting them and freezing them, she learned how to use every part of an animal through that self-sustainment and uh, planting and harvesting fruit and vegetables, learning the art of pickling and bottling to again sustain them through those winter months. Well, she goes on to say that she was uh, taught to be able to cook at the last minute for parties of up to 50 people and she was trained up in the time when chefs were celebrated when they delivered marvellous food, as she called it, but also on the same token uh, had it thrown away in front of them and told to start again when it was considered not of good quality. Mm. So, you know, she had a tough introduction and training session into the world of cookery. And I think more so, she really did have an amazing view of cooking. And I'll just read you an excerpt from the Mm -hmm. introduction to her cookbook, where she states, Male chefs in the great houses I have known produce masterpieces of haute cuisine, magnificent in every way. But if you do not happen to like a particular dish, then that is considered to be your bad taste. However, your enjoyment of the food is not really the point. Is it or is it not a masterpiece, the chef queries anxiously. Whether or not you actually like it is another matter this i think is the essential difference between the male and female approach to cooking a man cooks with his head whereas a woman cooks with her heart and i just thought what a what a very concise way of putting mm. it um and obviously it's not true for All male and female chefs, particularly in recent times, you know, there's a lot of male chefs out there that say, hey, throw recipes to the wind, cook with your taste, make sure that it's flavoursome and that your guests are going to enjoy it. You're absolutely right. It's not every chef
1: and every cook, but maybe her insight into this time and place is actually pretty accurate given the time period we're talking about you had that pressure of cooking for royalty, which is like superstar chefs, right? It's like Mm. that mega pressure, the money, the fame, Mm. the uh, prestige of it all. Mm. And that's probably Mm. what caused quite a... Kind of a male dominated space that's to do with impressing with your cooking rather than making something that tastes delicious and warms the heart. So Mm, (laughs)
0: hopefully you try and get those two
1: things together. But yeah, it was probably quite a conservative uh, time
0: and place that she's coming from. Yeah, very true. Very true. So it goes on that um, after making her way to England, she ended up cooking uh, for the then Princess Elizabeth at Clarence House in 1951. And in her book, she recalls. I felt that my cooking was at its best during those carefree days at Clarence House when Prince Charles was just a little boy of four and Princess Anne, a tiny porcelain skin baby. As I used to work in a clean white overall every day, Prince Charles called me the lady in white, which I think (laughs) is a lovely little uh, anecdote, you know. After King George died and Her Majesty Elizabeth moved to Buckingham Palace, Mrs McGee ended up staying behind at Clarence House to cook for the then Queen Mother and Princess Margaret. And it was up to this point, she says, that she never had a recipe written down. Rather, she cooked using her taste, you know, and adjusting the flavour as she saw fit. So after the Queen moved out of Clarence House and into Buckingham Palace, the Queen actually asked Mrs. McGee to write down some of her favourite recipes, and Mrs. McGee herself actually states that she struggled to do with it. she really had no measurements to refer to. You know, everything mm-hmm. she did was just by her own memory and her own understanding, and so she never weighed anything out. She never uh, <laughs> measured anything. So she really she talks about having to. Uh, actually try and convert her recipes to actual written recipes. So over the ensuing years, thankfully, Mrs McKee did write down her recipes. And then in 1983, these were published as the Royal Cookery Book in Colour. And I'm so proud to be the owner of one of these uh, books. Thank you so much, Pam.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. And what a fascinating woman in that she actually notes how difficult it was to create recipes because it was all in her head. Incredible.
0: Yeah, 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 wow. exactly. It and, just and I,
1: come so naturally to her.
0: Like- yeah, yeah. It's interesting because she did actually comment in the book that not only was the struggle of actually understanding the measurements of the ingredients and so forth, but her English writing wasn't the best because she was a Swedish woman, right? So she actually goes on to say that uh, the recipes that she handed to the Queen were chicken scratchings, Swedish cross between English, and she apologises into the book. She apologises to the Queen profusely in the book for having to decipher these chicken (laughs) scratchings, as she calls them. So I thought that was really lovely. So it's many people's
1: most wonderful time of the year. It's Christmas, Helen. We're at the end of 2023. And yes, the famous recipe that we know Mrs McKee originally from was her Christmas cake, or as what the cookbooks called it, the Queen's Christmas cake. And in the cookbooks, it was a full page, multiple cutout job. We got a picture of the Queen, we got a picture of Mrs McKee, and we've got a bit of a blurb about the cake. But we realised that something had been missing,
0: i.e. the recipe was actually not on the page. (laughs) It wasn't. No, it wasn't. You're right. So I get that phone call from you going, "Uh, Mrs McKee's Queen's Christmas cake wouldn't happen to be in her cookbook, would (laughs) it? (laughs) And it was, thank God, because I think what we had originally
1: found out was that Mrs McKee isn't really on the internet. You know, I'm sure there's somewhere that she's buried and there are references to her, but you can't easily find her recipes anywhere. We do have a whole recipe for the Christmas cake that we otherwise are missing from the cookbook.
0: Yeah, exactly. So in this episode, we are making... The Queen's Christmas cake, Mrs McKee's Christmas cake. Fabulous. We've waited all year for this, haven't we, Pam? We
1: have. We have. And... (laughs) Look, it's a, I would say, monumentally sized recipe. It does feel like you're cooking for the entire royal family here because of the sheer amount of goods that you have to somehow manage to mix together and put in one cake tin. And that's half the battle here, I think. It's just the (laughs) size and volume of what you're dealing with. But I can definitely see this is the real deal. This is the cake that she used to make for the royal family. And I think she actually says in her blurb in the book, that she made it many weeks ahead uh, Mm. when they all possibly had a mega baking session for the festive season for the royals. They would get together in the kitchen and make all the puddings and cakes ahead of time. So they would just get stored and, you know, probably get more luscious as they were stored and wrapped up in the preceding weeks. Let's get to the ingredients. We are going to start out with half a kilo, 500 grams of butter, same amount of caster sugar. You've got some orange marmalade in there, some black treacle, 10 eggs separated, three quarters of a kilo of plain flour. And then you've got all your fruit. You've got half a kilo of currants, sultanas, 250 grams of stoned raisins, some candied peel, and then your flavorings, nutmeg, salt, vanilla essence, almond essence, and some rum. Now,
0: (laughs) That's huge. It's massive.
1: (laughs) Okay. I don't think you and I followed the exact nature of the fruits here, but we certainly followed the overall weight. And as you pointed out, nearly one and a half kilos of fruit in this cake alone. (laughs) One kilo, if you can mine the butter and the
0: sugar, and three quarters of a kilo of flour. Goodness me. (laughs) It was enormous. Even with my largest mixing bowl, it was overflowing. This was an enormous volume of recipe ingredients, Mm. enormous volume of ingredients. I would only say I felt for you,
1: Helen, because I'm not sure whether you followed the recipe instructions exactly But this is not a KitchenAid recipe. This is not a recipe that you use your industrial strength mixer. This is a mixer recipe that human beings have to do themselves. It is a bowl and it is a spoon. Did you use your KitchenAid? Did you bust it out?
0: Well, can I just say I felt for you too, but for different (laughs) reasons. I don't have a KitchenAid to choose from, but yeah. (laughs) So I did bust out the KitchenAid because I was buggered if I was going to mix up a kilo of butter and sugar by hand. That was never going to happen. So I did cream the butter and the sugar. You then need to add the yolks of the eggs into that mixture after you've creamed it. So I did all of that with the KitchenAid.
1: You had a bit of mechanical help because that was a, a monster of a task. You know, oh,
0: yeah. huge. I don't know how you did it. Where's the muscles? <laughs> oh, look.
1: Uh, no. Oh, look at them. <laughs> uh, I let yeah. the butter melt. Let's, let's put it that way. I let the butter really soften before I tackled yeah. that thing. So, yeah, yeah. That, that really,
0: yeah. Did. But then I must admit, the recipe instructions just kind of went a little bit off kilter. The way that she said to then add the flour. To that creamed butter sugar egg mixture. And it ended up with you know nearly three-quarters of a kilo of flour. It ended up almost like a pastry dough because it was so dry because mm. the volume of cream-ish, wettish versus the flour just didn't equate. So it ended up really dry. So I didn't actually put all of the flour into the creamed mixture at the end I ended up actually holding back about 150 grams of it and I threw it in with the fruit because I thought if I put any more into there I'm going to be rolling this pastry out (laughs) (laughs) and I was bugging if I was going to do any more pastry after the last couple of (laughs) well yeah (laughs) it's
1: such a good call out because when you look at the ingredients list this is one of these classic eggs in lieu of milk so it's all the wetness of the eggs is the only yeah. wetness in the recipe but sure two tablespoons of rum but come on in a <laughs> in with one and a half kilograms of fruit two tablespoons yeah. of rum's like a drop in the ocean it's not doing anything <laughs> and I think you're right my cake dough turned out like cement because yeah. I also didn't have the volume of the egg whites to it, yeah. which you you do yeah. mix, and I I did my yeah. little vegan version and we can talk about our swap-outs. I actually followed this to the letter, and yeah. you're smart. I, I should have done something like that because it was obviously too thick, too yes. rich. It was like yeah. cement yeah. for me. It was yeah. really rich. And without any pre-soaking of that fruit, that might have been the goer. Where you pre-soak yep. this fruit, but none of this fruit is pre-soaked. It's this is meant no. to be a very light cake. It's not meant mm. to be, as she says in the description, it's not stodgy dark cake. It's supposed mm. to be almost like a vanilla cake with lots and lots of fruit in it. Mm. And understand that's where it was coming from. But geez, imagine whipping ten eggs with just mm. a,
0: a whisk. That's mm. that's a lot of mm. work too. So yes, <laughs> oh no, and that's what I was thinking with the 10 egg whites you needed to whip them to peaks separately and right at the bitter end after you've combined the the cream butter sugar yolky mixture with the fruit right at the very end then is when you fold in those egg whites but even trying to fold it in the ingredients combined was so thick and heavy and dense even though the cake itself actually does come out as a light fruit cake right it's really lovely there's a lot of fruit in there but it it, it is a lighter cake but even right at the end trying to fold those egg whites in (laughs) oh my lord my arms, <laughs> that was killing me. <laughs> um, so, me yeah, 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 yeah. it was massive. <laughs> it was massive. So, all right, so swap out. You and I always, you know, use a little bit of uh, discretion uh, around. Artistic uh, license, the, by artistic now we call it, license. Helen. Look. <laughs> yeah, that's it, right? So this time round, I did not buy anything. I went, you know <gasps> what, I've got the... Uh, Narnia's wardrobe in my pantry. <laughs> True. You've got to walk there. in kitchen pantry. <laughs> there is so much in there. I am positive I will have enough ingredients oh, I love that. to call this recipe. So I grabbed all the dry dish fruits that I had in the pantry. And as you mentioned, this recipe called for marmalade and candied peel, which <laughs> with, you know as well and truly established by it's now not allowed over the threshold
1: no there's not doesn't come in, in the house. front
0: door so that was a given that I was going to swap that out obviously marmalade I swapped for apricot jam uh the raisins I didn't have any but I swapped them for equal weight of dried cranberries and dried blueberries um, nice. which I thought gave it a lovely fruity more of a fruity, I genuinely thought that there was just too much of those grape varieties in there. <laughs> Currants, raisins, and sultanas are all friggin' grapes, right? They're just different size grapes. And we've spoken about this before as well. <laughs> yeah. And I just went, you know what? I, I love a good sultana, like the best of them, but like that was just too much. So I'm actually glad I threw the cranberries and the blueberries in. hmm I thought that worked really well, just broke up that mix a bit. And obviously the candied peeled was swapped out for dried apricots, which is always my go-to. And shock horror, again, you know what my liquor cabinets, (laughs) plural, my liquor cabinets look like. I didn't actually have any rum in any of them. So I had to swap out that for some sweet sherry that I had in the cupboard. They were my swap outs. What about you? Again, it just reminds me
1: we should do another episode on your liquor collection. And <laughs> I do question why you didn't use the apple whiskey, though. Just going to put that out there, oh. but just saying. But that's okay. We don't want to waste that good apple whiskey on a cake, let's be honest. We want to drink it we over like us, drinking so. it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> over ice. yeah. But my swap outs, obviously plant-based butter instead of straight butter Mm -hmm. I did what you did a little bit too there's no way I'm going to buy currants I mean I don't even know where to get currants in Australia and they're almost like smaller harder sultanas like no thanks yeah so yeah I did a bit of sultanas cranberries and just a packet of mixed fruit which I think does have peel in it but hey it was all good it was just easy sherry for rum I didn't have any rum my normal vegan baking substitutions, the egg replacer powder for all the eggs, and I used to use a lot of this powder because I mm. was replacing 10 eggs here. For the egg whites at the end, I actually whipped up with my food processor some aquafaba, which is the juice of chickpeas, and that actually came up in this beautiful foamy peak. It's not stiff peaks, but it's it's like getting to stiff peaks uh, consistency, yeah. so I folded that in at the end. And I didn't have any treacle in the house, so I just used, like, a a brown sugar syrup in lieu of treacle.
0: And those were
1: my swap outs. So, yeah, it was.
0: Oh, perfect. It worked well. I think that's a great one, the aquafaba, the old mm. chickpea juice. People don't realise that, you know, that can be turned into vegan pavlovas and it just whips up beautifully, doesn't it? It does. You've just got to make sure that you've got enough sugar in there, otherwise it's starts to get a bit
1: of a funky chickpea taste <laughs> and you do not want that. So thank goodness we had a half a kilo of sugar in this. There's no way Dear. you're going to taste any chickpeas, yeah.
0: So, yeah, as I said before, um, the instructions kind of went against what I'd normally do for making a fruitcake. I'd normally bring the wet ingredients together, then the dry ingredients, and then combine the two, right? But, yeah, Mrs. McGee certainly did things her own way, bless her. And actually, the more I think about it, the more I wonder whether the instructions kind of got a little bit lost in translation, Mm -hmm. uh, potentially, because she clearly calls it out as being a challenge for her. But the way she said to do it was cream the butter and sugar, which is, you know, pretty standard, separate the 10 eggs, adding one yolk at a time to the cream butter mixture with a tablespoon of flour as well as the marmalade and the black treacle. Yeah, I did all of that. This is where I got lost too. Like, you have your
1: wet base of the creamed butter sugar, and then you've got three quarters of a kilo of flour. And she says, only add a tablespoon at a time with each egg. Yeah. I mean, how long have I got? What am I? (laughs) I started out the first tablespoon and a little bit of egg replacer, (laughs) second tablespoon egg replacer. And by the end of it, I was pouring like whole cups. How many cups is in 750 (laughs) grams of flour? I think it's about five and a half to six cups of flour. I mean, it's crazy. I don't have all day to do that. So I thought that was a bit odd.
0: (laughs) No, you're right. It was a a
1: different time and place, clearly, when this recipe was written.
0: And again, I don't quite know what the purpose was for adding a tablespoon of flour with each egg yolk I I just didn't get that but anyway that's okay I followed the instructions it was a bit weird but I did it and then at the end it says add all the flour into the wet mix so as I said I kind of did most of the remaining flour after the 10 tablespoons but you know I was I was getting very close to a dough by that stage. And I thought, no, I can't keep adding more flour because I just won't be able to mix it and I'll have to crumble it over the top, <laughs> crumble <it> over the <laughs> top of Crumble the of the you're a
1: strewn cake, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's it. So I added most of the remaining flour to the point where it was still technically a wet mix and then added the rest of the flour to the dried fruit And then, yes, then came the time of combining the alleged wet mix with (laughs) with the fruit, and that took an enormous amount of time to try and get it combined well, and that was very difficult. In the largest bowl that I had, (laughs) which is a big bowl, big stainless steel bowl, I was spilling over the top a lot of the time. And when I was making, I was thinking of you, because I don't think you've got a bowl or a tin in the large sizes that I do. So I was wondering how the hell were you doing this? Did you clean the sink out and do it in the sink? Or <laughs> I couldn't work out how you were gonna do it. Oh my goodness. Oh bucket, so got a clean bucket from the <laughs> You know one of those foot baths? Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, look, my largest mixing bowl, I was at the I was at the rim of it by this stage. Yeah. And you know what this reminded me of? You know that joke in Shits Creek where the son and the mum are cooking and then yeah, you know, yeah, they're at the point when she's like, fold it in and they have this yeah. absolute panic about <laughs> folding like it's so <laughs> reminded me because there is I can understand when you fold in something in a cake it's like not this mix this mix like I said it was so dense and so heavy and then yeah. you're trying to fold in the lightest thing you could possibly fold in which is this total layer on top of the egg the aquafaba, you know, fluffy, light mixture, and you're trying not to demolish it all by folding that round. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely impossible with this because just the sheer weight of the fruit. I mean, the funniest thing about this for me, as I was putting in the cups of fruit, I realised I was 250 grams short of fruit, and I was like, oh, my God. So I had to add another cup of fruit in, and it just defies logic the amount of actual ingredients my bowl was full so I'm gingerly trying to fold this thing in not breaking apart all the air that I whipped into this juice yeah hoping it's going to do something it didn't really do anything I desperately probably needed a cup of milk in the thing just to loosen it up it was oh so
0: tempted yeah I was so tempted but I was sort
1: of trying to do the best by Mrs McGee and following every bit of her instruction but to her credit, she probably didn't realise it was going to be a vegan version ever made of this thing. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, and no, I got there, but it took, yeah, it was, again, just more mixing and mixing and taking a breather. Yeah. It actually looked good at this stage still. Yeah. Little yeah. did I know it was going to be almost impossible to actually cook, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: That was my first thought. So when I first popped it in, my one in the oven, I thought this is massive, right? It was massive. And it, and I did actually have a larger tin than the one I cooked it in. But the larger tin actually was enormous and it's used generally for the base of a wedding cake. It's just enormous. And I just thought, no, this will come out really thin, like not as high if I use that tin. Because even though there was a lot of mixture, so anyway, I ended up popping it into my second largest tin. But it came right up to the top. And and of course, logic tells me that the inside in the middle of this cake is not going to cook because there is just so much matter around it. So when I popped mine in the oven, I actually created a foil dome over the top of the cake and I tightened that around, kind of created almost like a a steam, a pressure um, oven type situation in the cake din. You know, as most bakers know, it helps cook. The inside without burning the outside too much so I put it in with the foil over the top and I cooked it like that for three hours but when I took the foil off and tested the middle of the cake it was still a bit doughy so I took the um, foil off and left it in the oven for another hour so I ended up four hours
1: This is a low and slow cook, isn't it? 160 Mm, degrees. mm. It's quite low in the oven. And it's, they said she's in the recipe, I think it says three to four hours. I had exactly the same problem. I didn't really have a good solution to it. I got a little bit desperate at the end. So I cooked it for about three hours. And that's at the time I took it out and tested it. It rose above the cake tin. It looked nice and brown and it was looking the part. But when I went to test it with a skewer in the middle, it was still uncooked right in the middle of the cake. Mm. So I put it back in the oven for another uh, about another one and a half hours on the same Mm. very low, slow temperature, but it just did not still cook. And Mm. I got a little bit desperate and so eventually let the thing cool down, took it out of the, oven let it cool down then i wrapped the whole cake in tin foil (laughs) and i thought i'll just steam it in its own you know just try and steam it as a thing
0: with its heat with its
1: heat so i took it out of the cake tin wrapped it in foil just put it straight on the oven rack wrapped tightly in foil for another like i don't know an hour or something it just did not cook i would say it was technically cooked all the way through because i ended up cutting it and ate it but it was like fudge you know it was like fudge in the middle it wasn't a cake it wasn't a crumbly cake it was super fudgy so I didn't serve and it doesn't matter anyway because it's vegan actually ironically there was no kind of raw ingredient issues here but it wasn't the texture that I wanted it was like you said almost impossible it was just never gonna cook it was just too heavy it was at that moment in the middle all the fruit had kind of sunk and it was just way too dense for any of the batter to have enough, I guess, room to rise. And yeah. that's the way I saw it. So the outside was a bit too crisp too, after all that baking. So it probably just didn't overall suit as a light fruitcake. It was not light. And yeah, yeah. I kept thinking, wow, when we talked about your slight difference in instruction, I should have done that. But also, I probably should, just should have halved the amount of batter in the tin and done two cakes instead of one. Two cakes yeah. probably would have yeah. worked. But then again, I loved the recipe. I just didn't end up having a cake that I could really enjoy, you know, mm, it, the, the mm. texture was not right. So, yeah.
0: mm. but
1: did it taste nice? It did. I like this kind of Christmas cake. Yeah, I like yeah. a cake that's not too, she says, stodgy. It's not too dark and rich. There's yep, a lot yep. of fruit here. And normally I'm a mega yep. fruit lover. I love my sultanas. Mm-hmm. There was just way too much fruit here. Uh, yeah. And it was a lovely cake. It was very light on the flavourings, a little bit of essence, you know, a little bit of rum. I yep. was thinking back to our sherry sultana cake that we made. Yes. We yeah. loved that cake. You know why? Because we yes. pre-soaked <laughs>
0: that I fruit, know, right? Yeah. And they were yeah. plump
1: and they were juicy. This yeah. was not that. And no. I wouldn't make this again, I don't think, because it just, no. it's, well, number one, it's way too big.
0: Yeah. But yeah. even if
1: I was going to make a cake for like, I don't know, how, how many people do you think this cake would actually oh, serve?
0: It would serve, if everyone was eating a piece of cake, 50 60 people easy
1: yeah i get easy. i get quite big but maybe not in my oven with my single hand and arm um, and
0: <laughs> spoon and what have you so yeah but i like the concept of yeah, the white fruit yeah. cake I agree with you. It it was a lovely cake. However, as I said, there were just too many currants for my liking. And I'll be honest and own up that I did actually forget to add the sherry or the, you know, slash rum, the replacement into the mixture. So I did my usual trick of pouring it over the cake as soon as it (laughs) came out of the oven, which is always very nice, right? Because you just get that lovely sherry taste. But look, honestly, You know only too well that every Christmas I love making my fruit cake, my Christmas cake, and the recipe that I use is a tried and true recipe which comes from a recipe book that was put out in the early 90s by a then well-known TV crafty expert by the name of Tonya Todman, for those of you who remember the old Tonya Todman. Oh, my God.
1: Tonya Todman of Healthy, Wealthy and Wise on Channel 10.
0: It was and she (laughs) came out with the celebrating Christmas crafty book which I have uh, in my hand I'm holding up and showing Pam at the moment and in here was all sorts of crafts arts and crafts that you can do because the old Tonya Todman was a wonderful uh, arty crafty lady on TV. She's almost
1: like the Aussie Martha Stewart wasn't she?
0: She was, wasn't before she before we knew? Yeah. I don't think we even heard of Martha Stewart back then. Stewart, no, you're right. In this uh, celebrating Christmas, a collection of great ideas from New Idea oh, down the New bottom. New
1: idea. Okay. Yes,
0: because she I think she was a, a regular column in the New Idea magazine. But in this book, she has gifts. These are rather than making craft gifts, you can do gifts from the kitchen. And this is her recipe for her Christmas cake titled The Best Ever Christmas Cake. And I have used that recipe for years and years and years. It creates such a beautiful white Christmas cake, just divine. So, you know, whilst I won't make her, her cake this year because, you know, nearly three kilos of ingredients into this one, I'm done. Tonya will make a re-emergence or a reappearance next mm-hmm. Christmas. Mm-hmm. But this cake is lovely. And, look, I've already cut into it. My son, who is a big, not a big... Fruit cake eater he's been devouring it i've been having a bit every day for my morning tea I, i've got the vast majority of the cakes still left so i will cut it up and hand it out as little uh, chrissy gifts to my work colleagues and so forth i'm ticking the box to say mm-hmm. we've done mrs mckee and we've done her justice i think both of us have done her justice
1: I wanted to talk about what references we have to Christmas recipes in the cookbooks, in the 10 mega cookbooks that we're going through. And there are a lot, Helen, no doubt, because how many women's magazines do Christmas specials around this time of year? Heaps. And they're always very popular. So if we go through, I counted about, oh, if you're talking about, recipes with the word christmas in the title or recipes that are traditional christmas things that you eat at this time of year there's about 25 different recipes that we're talking about we've got you know that, that actually
0: surprises me mm-hmm. i thought there'd be more than that across there's- the 10 books
1: look it wasn't a scientific audit but um <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no you're right you there's probably going to be yeah. more because yeah. If you take into account things like roasts or side dishes or turkeys, I didn't go there. I just no. kind of focused on the sweet side of things. Mm. Um, cakes, puddings, Yule mm. Logs, White Christmas. Let's talk about White Christmas because I feel like a little bit like the pineapple upside down cake, the White Christmas has kind of gone to history a little bit, even yep. in my circles. But we've got fruit mince tarts, uh, gingerbread men, there's recipes for cookies. Chocolate Christmas cakes, of course, your classic light Christmas cake, Mrs. McKee's cake we just made, and you've got some other straightforward Christmas cakes. And then, of course, the puddings. And you've got plum pudding and rumbles, uh oh, snow yes. cakes. I don't know what a snow cake is, but definitely had Christmas decorations on it. So okay. plenty of related kind of cakes, a Christmas layered cake, and then we have a festive fruit cake. So Lots of choices there. And, of course, how could I forget trifle? We made a trifle last year. We did, didn't we? That's the gamut of the kind of recipes we're talking about. The one thing I wanted to mention was just the full page of a magazine, and it's called How to Cook Ahead for Christmas. It's basically a full page of text from the chief cookery writer of the magazine, and she's just given all of her hot tips on how to get prepared for this time of the year. (laughs) And uh, this kind of reminded me of when Mrs. McGee in her recipe intro says this is not a stodgy cake. And they mention here that, in fact, most Christmas cakes that are dark are artificially darkened. And I didn't realise this. They're artificially darkened by adding flavouring, essence or jam or something else to the creamed mixture, notably coffee essence, Do you remember our mother used to drink chicory coffee
0: essence? Chicory coffee Which you can still get. I just saw it in
1: Woolworths the other day. You can still buy it. Oh, my
0: goodness. Oh, my goodness.
1: People add coffee essence, melted chocolate to darken the cream dough, right? Yeah. Or Parisian essence. I don't know what that is.
0: No, I don't know what that is. Like
1: Paris, Parisian essence. Yeah. For darkening the colour of the cake or the pudding. So I thought, this is what people do. So anyway, that was a bit of a revelation to me. I didn't realise. And then it was funny. The tips tell you to prep your fruit several days ahead. And then you could also actually, they say for any fruit cake you can actually make the dough two days ahead and keep it in the fridge. Right. It's not going to spoil go. the cake. I did chuckle. I looked at the Christmas pudding recipe and I'll read you two bits from this, this cutout of a Christmas pudding recipe. This recipe is an old-fashioned favourite using a rich fruit mixture which is kept deliciously moist and light by the inclusion of the carrots and potatoes. <laughs> what? <laughs> we have a recipe for Christmas pudding that includes oh grated raw carrots and potatoes.
0: Wow. Which keeps and you know very what? Moist. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me that that's there. You know, there's, as we've, I'm sure we've discussed this previously that a lot of those vintage recipes when, you know, supplies were scarce, people – needed to make do with what they had. You know, you can get chocolate cakes made with beetroot, chocolate cakes made with zucchini. It's not uncommon. And in fact, there's a famous ticky tocker called Dylan Thomas, I think his name is. And his old shtick is to find vintage recipes and cook them and taste them. I think I've seen that guy, yeah. He finds all those ones that let's make a rich chocolate cake using zucchini and beetroot, and he's like, what? (laughs) Um, uh, Oh, my God, this is amazing, you know. A lot of pudding
1: recipes, and I think Christmas cake, they include fresh breadcrumbs as, like, one of the main fillings. So maybe when flour wasn't that expensive, you'd actually also
0: bulk the thing up with breadcrumbs. Bread crumbs, in the stale too. breadcrumbs, you know things like that. How to never waste, never throw anything out. True. Um,
1: the other paragraph that I chuckled. Listen to this: the pudding improves with keeping. It is a good idea to make up a large quantity of mixture and save some for next year. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, Helen, uh, if oh you're no, gonna cook, you're going to be doing two years of fruit mixture. Imagine, I mean, imagine that, like that that person must have a deep freeze. Like,
0: <laughs> like just no, no, I think that, it's the short answer? answer, no.
1: That's the no. one kilo of fruit bag I'm saving for next year's pudding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, and then can we just talk about, yes, White Christmas, the legend of White Christmas. Now, White yep. Christmas in our family was a very well-known thing Yes, because it, I guess, is what you call... One of the easiest recipes that a kid can make because it's yep. melt and mix, right? Yep. You melt, yep. you mix, you slap it into a tin and there's not even any baking. It's just a freezer job. Yes, yes. The classic ingredients, we've got four different White Christmas recipes in the cookbooks. The basic ingredients, kofa, peel, glacé cherries, I think fruit mix, powdered milk and rice bubbles. So You mix all those together. Why is White Christmas not a thing anymore?
0: You know what? I actually think it is still a thing, but maybe not as much because we have a much more multicultural society. I equate to white Christmas being a very Anglo type of uh, vintage um, Christmas treat. Mm. Um, But in Australia nowadays, you know, we, we are highly multicultural and our Christmas... Out, those traditional christmas dinners are are very much becoming a thing of the past you know um uh, and likewise christmas cooking and christmas treats uh those anglo christmas treats um are, are not as seen as much because there's so much more variety out there of multicultural foods i think White Christmas caters to a particular heritage taste Mm -hmm. that is not going to translate to everyday Australians nowadays. That's my thoughts.
1: Uh, Look, I'm not complaining. I don't love kofa. I find it too rich, too oily. It's not my... Yeah, and it doesn't keep well in the Australian
0: summer because the thing has to be
1: frozen, right? Frozen.
0: Or refrigerated at minimum. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. true. True. I was just curious Yeah. White Christmas, you can genuinely throw whatever you want into it. Of late, I've seen a few White Christmas recipes pop up online and, you know, you can put in pistachios and pecans and chocolate chips and your dried fruits or your chopped up dried apricots, dried cherries. You can put in whatever is to your taste. I think that's the versatility of White Christmas. But you've still got that underlying base of kofa and the rice bubbles and Mm -hmm. you're right unless you'd like that texture and taste of Kofa you know a lot of Aussie kids back in the 70s and the 80s and the 60s we were raised on rice crackles no just chocolate crackles chocolate crackles chocolate crackles crackles. that's it had to get there um (laughs) you know we were raised on chocolate crackles and you know pardon the the pun but we cut our teeth on Kofa through chocolate crackles um at kids birthday parties and things like that but I mean, when was the last time you saw a chocolate crackle at a kid's birthday party?
1: Yeah, I don't know. They're no longer a thing, are they? You see them at like kind of like school fates, don't you? Yeah, occasionally.
0: yeah, occasionally, but not mm. a lot. But, mm. um, yeah, Kofa's not a a product that is, I would say, is widely used anymore. I could True. be wrong, but it's not a product I think is widely used anymore. But look, Pam, that was great. I 100% agree with you. I'm glad we've got Mrs McKee's royal Christmas cake done and dusted. But I do want to say a huge thank you to Mrs McKee. She was a pioneer in, uh, from a Swedish woman establishing very English, traditional English cooking. I think it was lovely. And, you know, just for sharing her insights and her recipes with the world. Uh, She is no longer with us, but her insights into an era now gone is such a treasure and something that uh, I'm glad we're honouring in our own little way. So thank you. You can find the original recipe in our pictures at our Instagram. Our theme music is by Josh Woodward. Bye for now. Bye. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.